For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson. And in this week's readout video from our Wednesday wake-up newsletter, we jump the shark with CNN, which says global warming is making shark attacks worse. Worse, you cry, having watched Jaws. How could a shark attack get worse? Well, the implication of the piece is that, in Australia at least, they're getting more common. Except CNN admits they're not, before breaking the surface with, quote, the difference is in the fatality rate, end quote. So has it gone up? No. Quote, the average of one death per year has stayed stable for the past 50 years, end quote. But this year there have been seven, which they admit could be anything including, quote, simple bad luck, end quote, as it presumably was back in 1934, when there were also seven with a much smaller population, or indeed in 1929 with the record of nine. But of course, quote, there's another possible culprit, the climate crisis, end quote. Oh, that. See, quote, as oceans heat up, entire ecosystems are being destroyed and forced to adapt. Fish are migrating where they've never gone before, species behaviors are changing, and as the marine world transforms, sharks are following their prey and moving closer to shores popular with humans, end quote. Right, which is why the number of attacks have been rising? Oh wait, you said it hadn't. Well then, there's a trend in fatal attacks? No, it hasn't budged in half a century. And since global warming is meant to be, you know, global, something of this sort should be happening everywhere there are sharks, but it's not. Now you've got us wondering about this supposed, quote, climate crisis, end quote. Though in one last gory spasm, CNN declares that it, quote, has led to raging bushfires, extreme heat waves, and one of the worst droughts on record, end quote, and also, quote, slammed the oceans with acidification and rising temperatures, end quote. Da -na -na -na. No, it hasn't. Of course, as you may have noticed by now, alarmists have a flexible attitude toward evidence, which we also blow zero in on in a piece on the usual melting Arctic ice that says, quote, the last time that atmospheric CO2 concentrations reached today's level, about 412 parts per million, was 3 million years ago during the Pliocene epoch. That means the Arctic hasn't been this warm in 3 million years, end quote. Now hold on. Normally, if you have a scientific hypothesis, for instance, that CO2 causes warming, and you measure high CO2 levels, you then go and measure the temperature to see if it was warmer. Instead, having measured high CO2 levels, they go and measure the CO2 levels to see if it's warmer. A remarkably tight circular argument that neatly bypasses all that messy actual evidence. For instance, that the Arctic was definitely warmer in the previous Eemian interglacial than it is today with lower CO2 levels, and that it was warmer during the Holocene climatic optimum in this interglacial with lower CO2 levels, and that it was warmer during recorded history in the Roman Warm period with yet again lower CO2 levels, and moreover, that the last time CO2 levels were this high, the result wasn't warming at all. It was a precipitous plunge from the Pliocene into the Pleistocene Ice Age. And curiously, we found another circular Arctic piece this past week about how, quote, increased heat from Arctic rivers, end quote, is melting the ice and warming the atmosphere. And where does this increased heat in the rivers come from? Why, from the warmer atmosphere. And around and around and around it goes. Whereas the actual ice seems to be returning early this year, at least in Hudson Bay. In another World Doesn't End story in the newsletter, some scientists went to check out the famous death of the corals following warming-induced bleaching. This again is from Australia, and to their credit, they went, it's alive. And so is New York's West Side Highway, which would be quite unremarkable, except that, as Electroverse notes, the godfather of warming alarmism, James Hansen, dramatically warned in 1989 that that highway would be submerged within 20 years. 
So you remember that thing about how science works by making predictions and then testing them? Neither does he, apparently. Or those who, though they claim to keep loonies like Extinction Rebellion at bay, aren't bothered that in 2008, Hansen said, quote, the Arctic is the first tipping point and it's occurring exactly the way we said it would, end quote, meaning, quote, in five to 10 years, the Arctic will be free of sea ice in the summer, end quote. Yeah, 2018 at the latest, but next time for sure. Hansen's also the guy who said the oceans might boil and the earth might turn into Venus. In which case, to be fair, we suppose that the fate of a mere highway would cease to matter. Of course, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris really did win the American election, we're told, all that nasty stuff will go away and the highway will be safe. As the Washington Post crowed on November 7, quote, a Biden victory positions America for a 180-degree turn on climate change, end quote. And apparently, everybody who's anybody thinks Biden really can halt the tides, crank down the global thermostat, and make China stop building coal power plants just by grinning at them. And according to an NBC, quote, expert says, end quote, story, Biden will also fix, quote, the unequal burden that people of color in the United States face from exposure to pollution, toxic substances, and other environmental risks, end quote. Who knew it was so easy? Well, the Washington Post, apparently, it also boasted that Biden will, quote, launch the boldest climate change plan of any president in history, end quote. So we're about to find out if all this stuff can work because, and you saw this coming, right? Quote, experts say they are eager for the new president to get to work on tackling the climate crisis, end quote. Whereas non-experts say, whoa, Nellie, Britain's lurch toward renewables is collapsing their grid at enormous cost, and now the country faces blackouts. Prime Minister Boris Johnson joked that Britain's famously foul weather made wind a good bet, but that's not so funny now. Whereas here is something funny. Alarmists who hector others about their scientific credentials have this sort of magic power to spot the impact of climate change anywhere, including an Australian shark attack. But it turns out the actual scientists are struggling to measure it. As Kenneth Richard notes, the AGW theory says when climate warms, 93% of the extra heat goes into the oceans, about 6% into the land surface, and only 1% into the atmosphere. But when it comes to testing that, unfortunately, we um, don't have data for about half of the deep oceans even now, let alone historically, so we can't really check. And when we look at the top of the atmosphere instead, where we do have satellites that can check, we find error bars. The general view is that there's about 342 watts per square meter of incoming solar energy, but the margin of error there is at least plus or minus four watts per square meter. That's from even the best satellites. But this doesn't seem to worry the circularists. They say, never mind the numbers. We know if it weren't for man-made CO2, whatever is coming in would be going out again to pass the decimal point exactly the same. Unfortunately, since we came along with our smokestacks and our automobiles and wrecked everything, there's 0.1 watts per square meter more coming in. That's 1 80th of the margin of error, which is easy to claim, but very hard to read. And yet every passing storm is blamed on this known unknown, which is drawn from you know, thin air. These are deep waters. But in case you'd rather have salad, we also have a piece from our ongoing collaboration with CO2 Science on the riveting topic of, quote, the impact of elevated CO2 on a key antioxidant in lettuce, specifically chlorogenic acid, if you're the sort of person who opens the fridge going, gotta get me some key antioxidants. But of course, the background to the study is that global warming is meant to make everything worse. Supposedly, it even causes pork chops to be soggier and vegetables to be less wholesome. 
Instead, it turns out that plant food, somehow mislabeled carbon pollution in some circles, increases this nutrient. And from CO2 Science, we have another in their series of stunners about how plant food benefits plants. This one's saying that despite the evidence, many alarmists keep insisting that rising temperatures are going to cause peatlands to belch out their stored CO2, creating another of those myriad tipping points to a runaway blah blah blah. But once again, it turns out that in fact, peat moss likes peat moss food, and it also likes that lovely warmth that helps plants grow. And if you increase both these plant-friendly factors, the peat moss doesn't collapse, it's hailing one last gust of CO2, it grows and absorbs it. So, you can put that in your shark and jump it. And also, email our videos to your friends and send us your money and so on. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and it is safe to go back in the water, or indeed, onto the ice.